technology. Let's do that all over. Redo. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Stock live from Kingston, Jamaica, KRM Studios. My name is Kalila Reynolds, as you may well know, because many of you join us here every Tuesday evening for this program. It's my pleasure to host this show. I love being here with you. And give me a shout out in the comments. Let me know where everybody is joining from. I know my Belizean Massive is joining this evening because of the topic that we have at hand. We do have backstage the Prime Minister of Belize, the Honorable John Brisenia, joining us to talk about a major development in Belize's economy and something that other Caribbean nations should be paying great attention to. So we're looking forward to that discussion. Also, if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter yet, make sure you do that. KalilaReynolds.com slash newsletter. Super important so that you don't miss any of our notifications, any of our videos, anything that's coming up. And yes, the masterclass is finally dropping on Thursday evening. We have a live uh, premiere scheduled. Not, not really a premiere, but we're going to be doing... I don't want to call it a webinar either. I don't like that word. It's so boring. But um, launch, a live launch on Thursday evening for the masterclass. It's a six-part video series, uh, Investing for Beginners Masterclass. So it will teach you how to start investing on the stock market. You will also get my ebook, my investments tracker spreadsheet, which let me tell you, that's damn thing has given me a headache. <laughs> That's the reason it's been held up for quite a few weeks because we were supposed to launch at the end of November and we had to push it back and push it back again. And so now we're finally ready to launch uh, Thursday evening. So join me for the launch on Thursday at 8 p.m. right here on YouTube and Facebook as well. It will be live streaming. And those of you who join the launch will get a special discounted price for the masterclass. So I see Spanish Town St. Catherine checking in, Mandible checking in, Blessed Love from Spanish Town, Mobay, Ocho Rios, Montego Bay again, Mandible, another one from Ocho Rios, Freetown, Clarendon, Utah, Jamaica, J. Claire joining from Belize, Janelle joining from BZ, BZ, BZ. I'm guessing that's Belize as well. I know it's Belize joking. Uh, Kingston 872 joining from Kingston. Patrick Smith in Spanish Town, Malik in Kingston. And yeah, so good evening to everybody. Here's a look at what's coming up on tonight's show, followed by What's Hot in Business This Week. The government of Belize has conducted one of the largest debt for nature swaps in the world, getting a quarter billion US dollars of the national debt written off in exchange for certain marine protections. How did they do it? And is this a model that other highly indebted Caribbean nations can follow? I'll speak with Belizean Prime Minister John Brisenio. And the analysts weigh in on the latest market developments. The Bank of Jamaica has suspended Alliance Financial Services' Cambio license. And over in the U.S., November job growth has again been disappointing, with an increase of just 210,000 jobs last month. And both Walmart and Target's Q3 results are out. We'll discuss. But first, here's What's Hot, brought to you by Jamaica Money Market Brokers, your best interest at heart. The Bank of Jamaica has suspended Alliance Financial Services from operating its Cambio and remittance businesses. 
The company also can no longer operate as a payment service provider as the BOJ has revoked its authorization to operate in the fintech regulatory sandbox. In a release late Friday, the BOJ said the moves became necessary following the charges laid on the principles of the company by the Financial Investigation Division. Alliance Financial's President Peter Chin and Vice President Robert Chin have been charged with several offenses, including breaching the Banking Services Act for accepting deposits without the requisite license from the central bank. Alliance Investments and Alliance Finance have also been charged. At the same time, the company is insisting that it remains in good standing with all government financial guidelines and regulations. The directors are to appear in court on December 16 to answer to the charges. The news comes almost a year after Alliance's IPO was suddenly suspended indefinitely as regulators probed a matter said to be related to its principals Robert and Peter Chin. The development has sent shockwaves throughout Jamaica's financial sector, with concerns being raised about who will fill the gap in providing foreign exchange and remittance services to the public. According to its IPO prospectus, Alliance is one of the largest MoneyGram operators in Jamaica, conducting 30% of all MoneyGram transactions and handling more than 8% of all remittance inflows on the island. Some 500 employees are now likely facing unemployment. President and CEO of Scotia Group Jamaica, Audrey Tugwell Henry, will take on the role of Senior Vice President SVP of the Bank's Caribbean North and Central Operations, effective January 1. The position will see Tugwell Henry overseeing operations in the Bahamas, Cayman, Turks and Caicos, in addition to Jamaica. The promotion comes one year after her appointment as head of the Jamaican operation. In her new role, Tugwell Henry will focus on driving growth in the region and charting forward the bank's customer-first strategy, which is underpinned by the ongoing digital transformation of the bank's operations. Guardsman Armoured is now Beryllium. Under the new brand name, Beryllium says it will continue to ramp up its technological capabilities to become an outsourcing company for high-risk technology and finance processes. The company says the rebranding stems from its commitment to technology and to philosophy of partnership. It says it will build on big data capabilities to support the central bank digital currency. It will also fully integrate additional business process outsourcing BPO clients into their portfolio of partnerships. Jamaican hemp company Virtudes recently completed another shipment of hemp flour to the United Kingdom. The move is part of the company's aggressive push towards increasing its reach to more international markets. The latest shipment went to nutraceutical company Nass Essential, which produces medicinal products. Virtues has been exporting hemp flour and biomass to partners in the United States and the United Kingdom since 2019. They are now looking to expand to more countries, including Germany, Australia, Brazil and South America, in the hopes of positioning Jamaica as the leading hemp producer in the region. Virtues is one of three hemp farms in the Caribbean. Fourteen companies will be awarded at the second virtual staging of the Jamaica Manufacturers and Exporters Association JMEA Awards Gala on Thursday, December 9. The awards will recognize and reward the achievements of local manufacturers and exporters who continue to make extraordinary contributions to nation-building throughout 2020. Twenty-one awards are up for grabs, with the two most anticipated being the Governor General's Awards for Manufacturer and Export of the Year 2020. A silent auction of quality locally manufactured products will also be conducted with bidding to open until the close of the awards. Persons will also have the opportunity to win gate prizes. What's Heart was brought to you by Jamaica Money Market Brokers, your best interest at heart.
money makers, you're not an official part of the family until you have your merch. Visit kalilareynolds.com slash store to order your t-shirt and your mask today. Let's get this money. This segment of Taking Stock is brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency. Insurance made easy. And Appleton Estate, Jamaican excellence. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Glad to have you in the house. Those in Jamaica, those in Belize. I saw somebody posting from Panama. So it's great to have people from every walk of life and all over the world joining us live this evening on Taking Stock. Well, tonight's episode is a very special one to me because, as you all know, I'm from Belize and I'm actually interviewing the Prime Minister of Belize this evening. See, I would say my Prime Minister, but the way how people set up, if I say my Prime Minister, no, I say at a PUP. <laughs> PUP is, is his political party there in Belize. So I'm just going to introduce him as the Prime Minister of Belize, the Honorable John Brisenio. Welcome to Taking Stock, sir. Hi, hi, Kalila. Um, good evening. Um, thank you very much for, for inviting me to, to your show. And um, you could say my prime minister, we know that bad. I mean, <laughs> you know that uh, people are thinking of PUP or UDP, but, but that's fine. But um, <laughs> certainly, thank you for inviting me on your show. As I told you earlier, I've watched a number of your shows. And little did I know that I was going to be invited on your show. So thank you very much. So well, I'm very happy show. to have you. Very, very honored and happy to have you, especially in the context of what we're talking about tonight, which is the blue bond. So people in Belize are familiar with this because it's been all over the media for the past uh, several weeks, couple months, actually. But this may be a new topic to people who are watching in Jamaica and the rest <clears throat> of the Caribbean this evening. They might not have heard about it because it hasn't got much regional press, although it has gotten quite a bit of international press. I saw The Economist covering it, The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, all the big uh, international publications have covered what uh, has happened in Belize in the past. It really was closed when? Late October p.m.? Yes, no, we, yeah, we closed on late October, early um, um, November, when we actually closed on, uh, with, with the payments. And certainly it is something that has gotten pretty much worldwide attention. Even here in Central America, Latin America, they're already looking at opportunities of how they can um, pretty much, you know, they, they, they copy what, what we have done um, by getting debt forgiveness, but tying it along with um, conservation efforts. So it's, it's a win-win situation um, for, for most countries that can be able to, to get that going. And the Caribbean is no exception. Um, Kalia, we, right. have a, we have a very sad history of colonialism whereby um, you know, we, we have been exploited for so many, for, for, for centuries by our colonial masters and they left very little behind. So that when we get independence, you know, when we got independent, we had to be able to quickly find money to be able to catch up and to borrow money. And in many instances, small countries like us in the Caribbean have borrowed ex in excess amounts. And then climate change, a hurricane comes and wipes everything away. Um, so in many instances, we find ourselves with high debt. Mm -hmm. And many developed countries would want to point fingers at us and say, well, that we're being reckless. But it's not being reckless, it's that we have been exploited. The developed countries um, have done what they did to develop their country. And then whenever we want to do our part, they, they want to stop us from, from doing it because it's, it's going to have a negative effect 
Well, we do have to admit that there has been a role played in post-independence Belize and Jamaica, for that matter, in in how the debt was accumulated. But we're not here to talk about how the debt was accumulated right right now, because that's a a whole lot of kettle of fish to talk about. Yes, it is. And there's been much discussion on that. Right now, what we need to talk about is how do we alleviate this debt burden? Because Belize's debt to GDP was one of the highest in the world, 130%. Uh, PM? It was 130%, and we have set a target of reducing it to 85% um, by 2025. So, Which is in four years. Within five years, where we have four more years to go. We have already, with this move with the super, with the super bond, where we managed to negotiate very hard with the bondholders, um, we managed to get debt forgiveness of approximately 250 million US dollars. That by itself reduced debt to GDP by, by 12%. And um, so, so from that 130, it goes down to 118. To 118, yes. And remember now we're growing the economy. On the second quarter, we had economic, economic growth of 22.3%. On our third quarter that just finished, we had growth rate of 15%. Uh, the third quarter is the slowest quarter of the year. So we're moving in, in, in the right direction. Well, 15% is posited on COVID recovery. So it's a, it's an unusual number, and many countries are recording high numbers because of the Well, COVID not really. Recovery. We are recording some of the highest in the world um, for, um, on recovery, and simply because what we have been doing is also working on getting tourism back. Um, the IMF was predicting that it would take us a year and a half to get back to, um, to 2019 levels, and it seems that by, by this year, actually, it's two years, by the end of this year, we will probably be surpassing the 2019 numbers. But the big That's story really? is agriculture, that agriculture has been leading the, the growth. Uh, we have been having, so we've seen a contraction in agriculture of um, um, exports over the past 13 years. I know here we are now having this explosive growth, um, selling cattle, uh, sugar, and many of other products um, to the Caribbean and also to Central America. All right. So let's come back to the blue bond because there's so much to talk about. That's why you keep going on. Belize is an exciting place right now. And it's the first time I'm I'm interviewing you on the show. So so there's a lot to catch up on. But all right. So you've touched upon what the blue bond is. Let's give some further explanation as to how this works. And I also want to hear the story about how Belize uh, managed to, to get into it. Like, how did you hear about it and how did it come about? Well, certainly, as you know, we had this, this super bond um, since 2006. Well, first, um, let's explain for the Jamaican viewers what the super bond okay. is. The super bond um, is what we consolidated a number of loans from private companies or banks, uh, mostly in the United States. And so we consolidated all of that into a set of bonds that Belizeans refer to as a super bond um, for about approximately 500 and 60, close to 600 million US dollars. But the interest rate was at 12% and it was unsustainable. So we've been negotiating and negotiating um, three, over three successive times since 2007, of the last one was 2017. And all that the bondholders have been doing was just kicking the can down. Just imagine, in the last 13 years, between 2008 and 2020, we paid approximately 300 and 
60 million US dollars towards the super bond. Do you want to know how much super bond was reduced? Zero, not a single dollar. All we've been doing was paying interest upon interest upon interest. So 300 and something still. million was just interest. Don't, exactly. Didn't principal at all. So we took the position during the campaign and saying we can't pay this debt. And so we met with the with the um, the bondholders and said we need a haircut. Of course, they said we were not going to talk to us unless we talk to the IMF and go into an IMF program, which required in, increasing taxes cutting this uh, um, the public service, firing people. And we said that that's not for us. We came up with our own plan, which is not working, which included some tough decisions, getting the, private, the public service to get a 10% cut, uh, cut goods and services by 20%. So when the IMF finally saw what you're doing, they finally kind of nudged us a, a green light. Okay, seems that you believe know what they're doing. That's when the bondholders decided to sit and, and, and negotiate seriously with us. We then said that we need a haircut and we tied it with our conservation efforts. So in a way, you know, everything was aligned. Yes, um, like the stars were aligned for us to be able to pull this off. We managed to get them to take a 45% cut because we're telling them with this, we're going to set up these blue bonds. And with the blue bonds, now we're going to increase marine conservation by 30%. Uh, Belize has already signed, signed up to what we call the 30-30 initiative, that by 2030, countries like Belize are going to have 30% of their marine areas under conservation. So now we said we're going to speed it up. We're going to do it by 2026. So using the idea of conservation, we managed to, to twist the arms of these, you know, these um, bondholders. Uh, they're nothing easy to, to, um, to negotiate with. And after extensive negotiations, well, probably over six months, which was not too long, you know, we managed for them to accept a 45% uh, haircut, which in effect saved about $250 million from our external debt for Belize. So at what point did TNC, which stands for the Nature Conservancy, enter the chat? Was that part of the original negotiations or you had already negotiated with the bondholders before uh, that arrangement was made? Ironically, TNC have been trying to sell this idea to, to the government of Belize um, probably from before 2015. That idea was brought to the government in three different occasions and it was shut down. They, I think the government did not see it working. But as soon as they came to us, we immediately saw that it is something that can work, that you know, developed countries are pushing everybody, including developing countries like Belize, to try to do more work in conservation, the issues of climate change. I mean, Belize and, and the Caribbean and Jamaica, of course, you know, we are feeling the brunt of, of climate change. So when they came with that idea, we immediately grabbed on it and then developed it more to be able to take the entire um, a super bond um, um, paying that off. Initially, they were talking about a hundred million dollars, and then we pushed it to the limit. We came up to about three hundred and sixty million dollars of of blue of blue bonds. So with that, with the five forty five percent haircut, we paid off all the bondholders, and now we have a blue bond for two hundred and sixty million US. 
But what is exciting about this is that we're not going to pay the entire 260 million to the bondholders of the of the of these blue bonds. We have set up a, a trust, a marine conservation trust, that by 2040 will be close to 100 million US. That's going to be a marine, a permanent trust fund for marine conservation. And then also as a government, we also agreed that every year we're going to set aside from the national budget 4 million US dollars for again, marine conservation. 40% of that money will be, will be used by the Ministry of the Blue Economy to be able to assist us or with our, our marine rangers, um, to be able to assist the coastal zone management authority. And then the other 60% will be used by our NGOs in, con in marine conservation that they could access also so this morning. So it's a win-win. And imagine now for us making available $4 billion US and then setting up a, 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 a permanent fund that by 2040 is going to be worth about 100 million US dollars to do what we had already committed to do, which is to set our marine conservation to increase it by um, 30% uh, by 2026. So for us, we were quite excited and pleased about what we managed to, to do in such a short time. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the, the goals are indeed impressive and we'll be watching to see if those goals are accomplished within the time frame that has been given. But I want to come back to the terms of the new bonds, the blue bond, because you mentioned earlier that what the super bond did and other uh, debt renegotiations between uh, 2017 and now, I think up to 2017, had done was simply kick the can down the road. But that is part of the arrangement <clears throat> with the blue bond too, isn't it? Because the, the tenure has been extended by, I think it's six years, seven years? Well, it's going to be a 19, it's a 19 year bond. It's a new bond that they're issuing. But we're not going to be kicking the can down the road because what we're doing uh, for nine years, Belize is going to be paying only interest. And the interest rate, the effective interest rate is going to be, I think, under, under 4% over the length of, of the bond. Then starting 20 in nine years time, I think it's going to be 2030. Then we're going to be paying interest and, um, and the actual bonds that, that we have issued out. So if you're paying only interest now, doesn't it run the risk of ending up in the same position as the previous administration was with having to meet those bigger principal repayments when those bullet payments come due? Absolutely not. Remember, we are right now as it is, we are in a point of recovering. We're getting the economy back on track. So it would be useless to be able to say that we're going to issue these blue bonds now and start to pay both interest and 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 the and the um, the bond itself or the capital immediately because we know we'd not be able to do it. So we have to give ourselves some time for the economy to grow, to get back on its feet, to be able to collect back, to be able to collect the necessary taxes, um, to be able to pay um, the, these bonds. From all the projections that we have seen and that we have done, it, along with the people at TNC and the, the people at Credit Suisse, um, they are convinced that by 2030, we'll be able to pay both um, interest and principal. Mm -hmm. 
So, but this has been the issue even since the original super bond <clears throat> was negotiated. They, Not really. Um, it's always and, uh, been premised that at some <clears throat> point in the future, we'll be able to, we'll be doing better, the economy will grow and we'll be able to meet these payments. Not, not necessarily, because uh, from, from, from what we're doing right now, you could see that Belize is growing in the right direction. The economy is growing. We had for the first time ever uh, investment summit in San Pedro about, um, about three weeks ago in, um, in November. And the amount of interest that we've had in that short time we have approximately over 250 million US dollars of potential investments that are going to come into, into Belize. We have a lot of opportunities with the um, BPOs, with the services, with um, tourism that continues to grow exponentially, agriculture, um, energy. We have all of these, other, these opportunities that unfortunately many of the um, Caribbean islands don't have. And that's what makes us different. That's where we stand out. We have access to markets in, in Mexico, in Guatemala. I have visited, I've had a state visit with the president of Guatemala, President Yamatei, and we're talking about expanding our partial scope agreement with them, um, trade agreement with them, to include more of our products that can go into to, to Guatemala. I met with the president of Mexico, um, President Lopez Obrador, um, and the same thing we've been talking about uh, a investment, a trade and investment um, agreement with them that would allow our products such as cattle and shrimp and fish and some of our grains that we could sell on, on, on to Mexico. We have these opportunities that the rest of the Caribbean doesn't have. It's just a matter of being focused and having a plan and putting that plan into action. And viewers, I should mention, if the prime minister sounds very optimistic, it's because it's his first year in office. So there was an election. No, it's not because it's my first year in office. It's simply Your first year as PM, I should say. Yes, no, but PM. no, I, I, I know what you meant. But okay, Kayla, one, um, I am the first prime minister of Belize that is a businessman. A fairly successful one, if I may say. Um, so I understand business. I understand what it is to be able to to do things that to, to grow a business and by extension to grow an economy. We have one of the most qualified teams right now in cabinet. Um, for instance, our Minister of Agriculture, uh, Minister Mai. Minister Mai is uh, an agronomist. Actually, he worked in the Ministry of Agriculture for over 16 years. So he knows what needs to, needs to be done. People like um, Minister of Foreign Trade, Eamon uh, Korte, who is well-known and well-respected in the Caribbean, and Chris Coy, who works with me in the Ministry of, of Finance, and Julius Espat, you know. So I could give you a long list of highly qualified, driven um, and people uh, um, in, in cabinet. And we know what needs to be done. And in one year, nobody expected us to be where we were. Nobody. The, prime, the former prime minister or saying that he weeps for the next government. Well, look at where we are. We're, um, we are in our way to, in our, in our path to, to recovery at a much faster pace than everyone predicted. The IMF was predicting that we were going to have, if we are lucky, 3% um, economic growth. And they have been inching up our projections. And the last projection, no, they have been giving us that, no, they think that we, their projection is um, 8%. GDP growth. 
in um, 2021. So we are moving in the right direction. And it's not boasting, but it's based on facts, on the decisions that we have been making. On May, for instance, we just um, looking at e-governance. How is it that we're going to make um, more digital technology available to provide a more effective, more efficient, more transparent and accountable services to, to, to our citizens? We just launched um, yesterday, um, you know, yesterday, Monday, our, our national digital plan, coming up with a national ID, um, digitizing vital statistics, digitizing the land registry, and so many other things that we plan to do within the next few years ahead of us. Right. So uh, it, it is impressive, PM, that Belize has been able to avoid going to the IMF because just a few years ago in Germany, <clears throat> almost exactly where Belize was with technical debt, 130% and beyond to GDP, it required an IMF bailout. One of the steps that Jamaica took in order to bring that debt to GDP down and overall debt down, uh, which had a tremendous effect as well, was repaying the or buying back the Petro-Caribe debt. So is, in, is Belize in any position to take a similar type of step? Yes, we are working on that right now. And we hope to to be able to make an announcement by the end of this year. And we are aiming for substantial savings for the Belgian people. So we're working hard there, um, Kalila, from all angles, from every conceivable idea that you could think about. Trust me, we are thinking and looking at it and see how we can use it to benefit our country. We need to reduce um, the, the debt to GDP. We need to create that fiscal space because we still have a lot of investments that we have to do as um, as a country to be able to to develop it and to continue to attract investment both local and international investment into belize absolutely so we definitely need to get that debt to gdp down the debt in general needs to come down and i'm glad that you guys are are thinking of many other ways to bring it down. Uh, how much savings will this uh, blue bond result in? How much more space will you have in the budget annually? Well, it, uh, um, it has, as I said, it's already saved um, 12% of, of GDP. In and um, it is going to save us um, $50 million between now and 2025 US. So that's $50 million that we have to be able to, to, pay, year? to play with. No, no, total for the next um, four years. Remember, our, our economy is way smaller than Jamaica. So $50 million yeah. is a lot of money for, for, um, for the government, for our budget. We remember we have a, a yearly budget of about $500 million. So um, saving approximately 12 and a half million US is substantial. It's a substantial amount of money when you compare it to our budget. For context, again, viewers, Belize's population is about, what is it now? 400, about 430, 430. I would say it's about 430,000 and counting, we're counting, we're counting. Um, so we're at 430,000. Yet we are about, a, if I remember right, about a third larger than the landmass of Jamaica. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost almost twice the size of Jamaica, yes. but a much much smaller population. But that yeah, population so that's also what I'm saying. makes Belize one of the largest uh, by population in the Caribbean. Yeah, but but that's why it makes it so exciting that Belize has so much opportunities, um, and 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 I think that Belize has a bright future 
Uh, there are certain things that are out of, of our hands. God forbid a hurricane were to, to shake Belize, and I said, knock on wood, and we were so lucky that we were spared um, this year, and we, we thank our creator for that. Um, but it's a matter of having a plan, being focused, and making sure that you work hard every single day to get that plan implemented. We have a very ambitious plan as on, on what we produce, what we presented as Plan Belize, and we we are doing everything possible to be able to to um to to get that plan working for our citizens here in Belize. Let me take a question from one of our viewers. Somebody, let me see if I can find it. They were asking, "What happens if the thirty percent isn't met?" Meaning the the marine conservation efforts. Does that well, affect the bond payout at all? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. There are going to be some severe penalties um, that Belize will be required to pay back millions of dollars if we do not live up to that. But we have every confidence. We are, have already been mapping out the areas. What we're doing is that we're going to be mapping the, the rest of the land, the, sorry, the rest of the marine areas that we need to, to map out um, for, for conservation is going to be in our um, exclusive economic zone, the EEZ zone, um, whereby where we do our fisher folks are more concerned um, from the barrier reef that we have to the to the mainland. That's the area where they work and where they live off in the in the um, um, exclusive economic zone in that area where there's very little activity, and so those are the areas that we're going to be able to to block off for. Um, marine conservation. Mm. And for other Caribbean leaders who may be in tune this evening, uh, to, is this a, a route that other highly indebted Caribbean countries could take? Is it available? I think I think it is. I think it is. And I think that um, TNC is also looking for other areas where they can be making these kinds of investments. And um, and to uh, to other Caribbean leaders, you know, to to my my um, colleagues in the Caribbean, um, they can be looking at. Well, first of all, you need to look at your expensive debt um, that you may have. We had expensive debt with the super bond, and um, and these were also um, debt from private individuals or private banks, as opposed to the multilaterals like the CDB and. World Bank and IDB and etc. Um, so once you could put that together and then look at um, in the Caribbean, pretty much we've all agreed that we were going to set up, um, we're going to push to 30-30 or 30% of our marine conservation. So we can take that opportunity to be able to go to, to, to these groups that we owe money to and, and then try to arrange a way whereby they can reduce the debt, forgive the debt, and then at the same time to be able to um, get to do what we have promised. Remember, our frustration, certainly my frustration with the developed countries is that we have been doing our part when it comes to conservation. It is the developed countries that have not done their part, and they have made their monies on our backs. I think they have a moral obligation to be able to make monies available to us, to be able to reduce the debt, and for us to be able to fight poverty. The greatest threat to the environment is poverty. And if we could address that issue, then it would be easier to, to, to protect the environment. 
and the developed countries that have the money that are causing are the main polluters and creating climate change that is directly affecting us um they should be held accountable and they should make monies available to us and they can make monies available to us to pay off some of the debt in return for us to be able to be conserving more of our, of our, of our, of our, of our natural beauty from which they are going to benefit from. Well, I wish you great success with this effort on both fronts, both the debt reduction front and the marine conservation efforts, because it can only be beneficial. Make sure you meet the targets, PM. We will meet the targets. We're watching. Um, We're trust watching. me on that We're one. Attention. Trust me, we are going to it. And whenever you come to Belize, I will show you. I'll prove it to you. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. Thank you so much. And thanks for the opportunity, um, Kalila. And um, 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 we, we're very proud of what we have accomplished. Uh, we're prepared to, to meet with anyone who wants to talk to us and where we can share our experience, especially to, to our colleagues in the Caribbean that can't take advantage of what we have done. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. They just, we are prepared to, to share with them what we have done. Thanks again, Prime Minister John Brisenio. He's the Prime Minister of Belize. Stay with us, everyone. When we come back, we'll have your market recap and the analysts are standing by. of taking stock was brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency. Insurance made easy. And Appleton Estate, Jamaican excellence. Time now for your market recap. Brought to you by Sagicor Investments. Think wealth, think Sagicor Investments. The Jamaica Stock Exchange declined with the combined index losing a little over 1,500 points or less than 1%. 116 stocks traded across both the main and the junior markets of the JC for the week ending Friday, December 3, 2021. 42 advanced, 57 declined and 17 stayed the same. 273 million shares changed hands on the Jamaican dollar market, totaling nearly $2 billion. Lumber Depot saw the most trading activity. It took up 52% of market volume. People bought and sold 142 million shares in the company. The stock, however, lost 15 cents to open this new week at $2.75. JMMB Group 7.5% traded the second highest volume, with people buying nearly 50 million shares in the company. The stock remained unchanged to open this new week at 89 cents. And Kingston Wharves rounded out the most traded, taking up nearly 8% of market volume. The stock lost 73 cents to open this week at $43.24. Now let's see who had the biggest gains for the week. After being ordered to pay its customers more than $220 million for breaching its guaranteed standards, Jamaica Public Service 5% D stock price jumped nearly 24% to close last week at $0.47. Cents. JPS's 5% C stock price rose 18% to close last week at $0.45. Cents. And rounding out our biggest gains, Jamaica Public Service Company 7% is up 16% to open this week at $0.64. Cents. On the losing side now, Margaritaville Turks was the biggest loser for the week, down 29%. The stock closed last week at $14.85. KLE Group stock fell nearly 25% to open this new week at $2.32. And rounding of the week's biggest losers, Cygnus Real Estate Finance USD. The stock lost 16% to close last week at 13 cents US. Market recap was brought to you by Sagicor Investments. Think wealth, 
Think Sagicor Investments. This segment of Taking Stock, the analysts, is brought to you by Proven Wealth and Ideal Portfolio Services. Welcome back. And before we continue with the analysts, I forgot to offer the PM something very important. So, Prime Minister, next time you come to Jamaica or next time I go to Belize, which will probably be soon, I'll bring you a bottle of Appleton rum. <laughs> I look forward to that. Um, and this is the good Karina. stuff. We'll have a drink. <laughs> That's a smooth drink, by the way. Yes. Especially the 21, the aged rum. I don't drink a lot, but that's a very good drink. So thank you very much for the offer. I will hold you to that. <laughs> You'll get it. I'll put it in my suitcase. I have to declare it. Or maybe you could give me a waiver. <laughs> I, will I, I will work on it. I will work on it. I'll see what I can do. Maybe I can call somebody. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But thank All you right. very much for the, app, for, the, for the Appleton Room. I look forward to it. Thanks again, PM. Thank you. So let's introduce our analyst panel. We have a lot to talk about, a lot going on in the business world this week. Oh, before we do that, let me also ask you to take our poll this week. And here's our poll question. How do you feel about Alliance Financial Services license being suspended by the BOJ uh, because of breaches of the BOJ Act, the Banking Services Act and the Proceeds of Crime Act? Let me know how you feel. Comment below and also leave your or take the poll question on the community tab of my YouTube channel. So how do you feel about this whole development with Alliance? A lot going on there. All right, let's introduce the panel of analysts for this evening. Who do we have? Wealth Manager at Ideal Securities Brokers Company, Auric Angus. Assistant Manager of Private Equity at Proven Management, Julian Morrison and research and strategy analyst at Sagicor Investments, Jodianne Aris. Welcome to the show, or welcome back. Hi, thank you. Evening, guys. Yeah, Kalila. Yes, good evening. Auric, you guys have have done a like a name change, a rebranding. I I noticed Ideal Securities Brokers now. Well, we've been rebranding for 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 the last year and a half, but Ideal Securities Brokers is a separate entity from Ideal Portfolio Services. In the coming week, you get more information on that. But we Ideal Securities is a primary brokerage, similar to Approval and Asagicor, while Ideal Portfolio Services is a portfolio management company. So it's two different segments of our business. Okay, understood. All right, let's get this ball rolling. Like we said, a lot to talk about. And let's start with this whole alliance issue. Uh, So the BOJ has suspended alliance uh, Cambio operator license. Who wants to jump on that one first? The the implications, what happened there? Um, Let me see, since I already had Auric open, in a mini mini mode. Julian, your reaction to that? Well... I think that we're all still processing the series of events. What I'll say, just from a bird's eye view, is that there's a lot to consider from a regulatory standpoint because the international community or international stakeholders, they are watching closely to understand and to interpret how we deal with the challenges that we have in our financial system. So. For instance, when um, standards on um, when Fitch, for example, Moody's and S&P Global, when they're looking at our credit ratings and our financial position, our robustness of our financial system from a regulatory standpoint is taken into consideration when they're talking about risk, because when 
it is understood that an island like Jamaica has a regulatory framework and one that actually works, one that is put into action, it communicates confidence and legitimacy to the international community. So from that standpoint, it's good to be seen as not just talk, um, but we are persons who actually walk the walk as well, because small island developing states are sometimes blacklisted and treated unfairly by the international community in terms of how we're perceived. So mm -hmm. when our regulatory bodies are taking action, it bodes well for how we are perceived by international players. Yes, that's one of the points I made in my article over the weekend as well, that um, I'm sure this action will be looked upon favorably to the, by those who uh, compile these gray lists and black lists and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, Jodian, what ran through your mind when you heard this development on Friday? Uh, well, I was, I was actually on leave, so I didn't want to run through <laughs> development on Friday. Um, but my initial thoughts were really surrounding, um, you know, um, the extent to which it would probably affect the FX markets, considering that, mm, yes. um, you know, Alliance is one of the major players in the Cambio space. And so that is something, you know, who will necessarily map up. And I know there are other monogram agents, such as LASEF and other companies. And so there was that thought about, you know, in terms of where would, um, you know, those persons are those, you know, in particular, in a December season, when, you know, remittances may be higher than usual, you know, where would that be going? And, you know, which agency or which company would probably get to map up that? Yes, yeah. so that, uh, that FX implication is indeed huge, Auric. Because yeah. as, as I was noting earlier, uh, and this is what David actually pointed this out to me in their prospectus, because remember, Alliance did um, plan to do an IPO around this time last year, and then it was suddenly withdrawn based on some developments that were kind of weren't really revealed at the time. There was just a, a hint of what it was. So in late December, that IPO was suspended. And all right, so in that IPO prospectus, Alliance said that they actually handle 30% of all MoneyGram transactions in Jamaica and 8% of all remittance transactions on the island. And we're looking now at December. We're like two, three weeks before Christmas. This is the time when a lot of uh, family members yeah. abroad are sending money home. And now there are fewer agencies that people places that people be, be able to go to collect this money so what type of impact do you see this uh this having auric i mean yeah it it they are a very major player in the industry as julian and, and and jody would have pointed out um i think that it will impact the industry tremendously um because they're 30 percent is a lot when you when you talk about the remittance mm -hmm. segment you know um, but but all in all, it from my understanding, from my two sentences, is that in scenarios like this, the B, the BOJ would have been working with you over some time. And if it comes to a point where they have to publish this sort of news, it, it means that it has been going on for some time. Um, a lot of stakeholders will be affected, employees and, and customers for um, most of all, uh, with the December period right around the corner when remittances are usually high, you find it that a lot of these customers will be um, seeking other alternatives, whether it's Western Union and different Cambia outlets that are that are in the in the country. 
I think that they're going to be affected tremendously. Um, the, like I said before, the December period is a very sensitive period when it comes on to remittances. Um, they have a very, they have a lot of damage control to do, both long and short term. Um, and as Julian pointed out, this really affects us in the eyes of the international public. So it's scenarios like this um, in the us Jamaicans from opening a trading account, for example, with a TD Ameritrade, you know, or other trading um, companies overseas that we'd like to do business with because we are blacklisted. And in the event that we we want to 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 look good in the eyes of these international um, credit rate, rating agency, we have to comply with the BOJ regulations and the rules regarding our industry. And the Cambio business is very sensitive. So when you play in that space, you have to be on top of things. Is it an opportunity for the other players in the industry to to soak up that hole that aligns? Sure. So you have you have um Lastf like Jody Ann mentioned, mm -hmm. Grace Kennedy, which operates Western Union. I think VM is the one that the other one that also does MoneyGram. Will they be able to fill that demand? Do you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, well. If they're depending on 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 where they're located and and the ease of doing business with these first places, I have a few individuals that I know personally who have um, um, can be a shop set up in in places like Mandeville and stuff. And based on what happened over the the last weekend, there was a lot of people out there waiting to use their services. So without a doubt, people will seek other alternatives through the other um can build players in the market mm. so those are three companies to watch yeah. <laughs> less less f gk and uh and vm uh, yeah. all right did any of you by chance get to attend cab cements agm today no i didn't get a chance i was unavailable actually same here i wasn't able to oh oh that's unfortunate i tried but when i tried it said that the registration was closed so i wasn't able to, to attend and see what happened but if anybody in the comments did let me know how did it go i'm sure it was quite a feisty meeting given <laughs> the issues at play um julian can you give us a recap of what the issue is for carib or at carib so just the tip of the iceberg um Essentially, there is going to be a new agreement where a portion of the company's revenues are going to be charged pretty much um, in a form of royalty agreement to the parent company. So typically, when you have agreements like this, it typically comes from profitability, which is what shareholders are interested in. And given that the parent company has shares in the company, you'd find that the um the what the parent company would want and what shareholders would want meaning the minority shareholders normally would be aligned given that they would try to maximize the profit profitability of the firm this new agreement puts a spin on that because the fact that it is being charged on revenues means that it will constrain profitability of the company meaning that the company's profitability um the potential of it will be constrained by this new agreement and it's not an agreement that you necessarily see every day in this kind of industry. It's kind of irregular. So there's a lot of tug of war, tug of war around it. Um, people are not comfortable, especially given that 
Carib Cement hasn't paid a dividend in a very long time and dividends come from profits. So that's really it. Um, my Just my personal opinion, I don't think the thesis for Carib Cement has changed though, because when you look at the fundamentals and the demand drivers for cement and building materials in Jamaica, it should supersede the potential impact of the of the agreement but that's my personal opinion okay so david is in the comments telling me that he watched it i'm trying to ask him to give us some other highlights as to what came out of the meeting because i'm sure that the shareholders well and i heard them on on nationwide this morning as well dan theok from mayberry and dr alfred dawes an investor so representing minority shareholders as to what uh, what their concerns are about carib cement where is the stock price no is it still falling or it's about the same as where it was it's last around year? 70 76 dollars hold on mm. <laughs> let, me, let me put up the comment from david this is what this is what we know <laughs> minority shareholders were i can say it pissed off <laughs> As we can imagine, because minority shareholders haven't been paid a dividend for many, many years, mm. and now that company is finally profitable, the company is proposing to siphon off that money to Mexico, send it off to another country, which impacts us in so many different ways, because it, the 4% the royalty is coming from the top line, from revenue, which means that it's not taxable, basically. Mm -hmm. So there is less money for the government to collect taxes on since government collects taxes on profits. That's one. Two, money is leaving the country that is generated here. So all the cement that we buy to build your house, fixed road, all that stuff, is going to be leaving the country. And then three, shareholders are already upset because they haven't gotten a dividend, yet you can find all this money to pay to Mexico. So here's a quick update from David. He says, all resolutions passed. Ordinary business passed under votes and special business done on a poll. So I guess that means that um, the resolution approving the the payment of the royalty, is that what that refers to, David? That was passed? See, he should have been on this week. But next week, I'm sure he'll have a lot to say next week after he writes his article for the Observer and so on. Let's move on to another topic. And he says, yes. So the, the resolution to pay the royalties to Semex uh, was passed at today's AGM. All right, beauty of the internet. See, we can get that live update. Let's move on to the international markets now. Uh, all right, starting with uh, job growth in the United States, Jody Ann. So job growth was disappointing in the U.S. How so? Yes, it wasn't really what um, we're expecting. Um, so they were anticipating a little bit more in terms of job growth. And so I'm just going to share my screen and we can look a little bit more on that one. All right, so we're waiting on Jodian to, to do right, the I screen think share. There it is. Yes, we're seeing it. Right, right. So non-farm payrolls, um, which is just really everybody except probably farmers and another, you know, just a little bit more outside of regular employment, um, was two hundred and ten thousand. Um, and coming from five hundred and fifty-six, so a little bit over half a million in the previous month, 
And so we're anticipating around, Wall Street was anticipating about 573,000 and it was only 210 that you saw in terms of gains. And so that was a little bit, you know, quite a bit of a disappointment in terms of expectation for job growth. And, you know, job growth is one of those things that would fuel um, activities within the economy. So the more persons you have employed, um, is a little, you know, is the more the wheels of the economy get to turn. And so, you know, that brought a bit of a disappointment, particularly, you know, to investors um, who would have been looking to say, you know, going into, you know, the Christmas season in terms of retail sales, um, you know, would have been probably not as as was expected. Um, but in terms of a little bit of good news, um, when it is that you look at, um, you know, how it is that employment has been moving relative to pre-COVID. So if it is that you look at the US economy um, in February 2020, so employment was about 152.5 million. And then we had that steep dip with COVID. So the economy would have fallen off. And then we're noting that we are, you know, each month we are gaining in terms of adding jobs. And so that deficit is, is, is dipping. And so we are getting a little bit closer to um, the pre-COVID levels as at November 2021. And so if it is that we had met expectations, then we would have been just a little bit closer to pre-COVID levels. So it means that not having met expectations in November, then the timeline for getting back to pre-COVID levels may extend a little bit further. But we continue to watch to see, you know, how all of this plays out. Um, you know, it is, it is keen, you know, where you want a labor force to be there to drive. And so, you know, it is a bit of optimism, as I said before, going back to getting closer to pre-COVID levels. And there was another chart that showed in terms of employment rate. So if you look at unemployment, um, we noticed that there was a spike in unemployment, um, you know, once we had the hit of COVID. And so we're noticing that that is coming back down and, you know, in levels closer to that, what we'd have been used to pre-COVID. Mm. And so even though, you know, we weren't, they didn't hit numbers for what they had wanted in terms of job, growth expectations um unemployment rates actually dipped in the november so that is another point of you know a little bit of optimism in that market space okay so those are things that we definitely keep our eyes on because you know u.s job numbers indicates health of the economy health of the economy implications for businesses are businesses growing are they not growing and so on and so forth they affect companies listed on the stock market in the United States. And those of us who have investments in those companies would watch those numbers. And we're going to talk about two of those companies in just a moment. But first, David is on with us. So David, hello. Good, good night. <laughs> Let me try and find a better light source. And, and unscheduled. <laughs> I'm the resident analyst, so that's how it is. Yes. And, and we know you attend all of these meetings. So, so give us your report. How was it today at Caribs Immense AGM? Not as desired. <laughs> and Not as explain. desired let by just, Let me just explain. <laughs> let me just explain. So mm -hmm. uh, first thing first, respect to the dividend query, uh, they said that, you know, there's still formulas and everything and that uh, the policy should be completed by Q1 sorry, Q1 2022, which would be between January to March 2022. And that, you know, it should represent the shareholders at the next AGM, which is odd because they don't necessarily need the shareholders approval to actually approve a dividend policy, which is odd. And then with respect to the whole 
uh, royalty conversation, what happened in that case was that uh, they did it on a poll rather than a vote. So let me explain the difference. So under the company law and articles of incorporation, the rules that govern the company, uh, a vote is where you know each shareholder is equal. So if I'm a share in the company and I want to vote, I am one person. My team shares at one. I'm just one vote in over count. So because of that, since they knew that persons would have voted down the royalty and they'd have lost on a vote, they in, they invoked uh, part of the company's act where since they actually have at least one-tenth of the ownership or, or the voting capacity, they're able to push it to a poll. In the case of a poll, the number of shares you own matters more than the number of persons present. And since they own 79.04% of the ordinary shares, they, in essence, end up winning the vote. So although the majority was 91%, there should be clarity with that. They closed the registration on Friday and on top of that, although they own 79.04% of the issued shares, that does not necessarily mean that other persons voted in favor of the resolution. You have to remember that if 1% of the shares were issued or represented the meeting, and you see 91% majority, that's a different story. But because everybody was represented the AGM, you end up seeing 91% majority and thought that 91% of the persons who own shares voted in favor. That isn't the case. So that kind of gives some clarity as to what's going on. And would you want any further information about the royalty? Well, what I'm wondering is, do minority shareholders have any recourse at all? To be honest, uh, no. Because the AGM, and this is why we mentioned Dan Thiok from Mayberry earlier, uh, Mayberry is the largest shareholder, apart from the Cemex trio which is Trinidad Cement Limited, TCL, Nevis, and Cemex. They actually sent a circular to Cement and asking them to circuit to, to shareholders. But since Mayberry didn't own the quote-unquote one-tenth majority needed to affect that result, never went through. And the reality is once, uh, once the resolution is put to a poll, if the majority owners want to go their way, it's going to go their way because like in 2016, I believe, when uh, the shareholders are dissatisfied with KPMG's work, please note, this is not respecting any auditing firm, with the KPMG's quote-unquote work with uh, Cable and Wireless Jamaica, when they're still listed, they voted against their reappointment. And the company secretary invoked the holders option. And when they came back 30 days later, because the majority owners had more shares, KPMG was reappointed. Mm. So. Is that like in well, the US? What, what where... I gather based on listening to the conversation on the radio this morning is that there seems to be some attempt to, to lobby the government because, as you know, uh, Carb Cement has an exclusive, is it both manufacturing and distribution license or just manufacturing? So they, I know they have an exclusive license. There, they have protections under the tariff system, meaning that uh, so they're the only person that basically manufacturing and distributing Jamaica, yes, but apart from them, Bighouse Cement and Carib Cement are only two companies, well, with growth tech now, that's actually allowed to import cement into Jamaica. So because of that, Carib Cement has basically a protection system well, that, in that, place. That, 
that gross it's tech license, I, I understand from a very credible source that even though they've gotten that license, they have been prevented from actually importing uh, cement using the license. So that's but, a whole other wait, issue. But, but, but here's, what, here's, here's, here's an interesting point. In the addendum to their third quarter results, which was released back in October, they said that they actually imported cement during the period to make up for the time when they were shut down, which is why the purpose were so depressed. So that's something to actually consider. Isn't I'm saying, you know, this was in a document that was published on the Jamaica Stock Exchange's website, which is what they said, which is why Pepito was depressed. The cost of sales went up significantly because that import cement to supply the gap in the market at the time from their shutdown exercise. Jodian, let me bring the other analysts in here quickly. Jodian, you think there's anything that the government could do relating to this situation, perhaps uh, as it relates to those... Um, those tariffs that are levied against anyone who, so the protection that carb cement is currently afforded. It seems that that is the route that the minority shareholders want to go in lobbying the government. Um, I mean, that, that's one option that can be considered. Um, how it's it currently set up is that even if it is that you do have a license to import, you still have to make that, um, that application um, on a continuous basis. So it doesn't mean that if I have a license to import, I can at any point in time choose to import. So I have to continuously be getting approval. And that is based on the fact that if it is, there isn't um, any, there, after, after government, you know, speaking with Carib Cement and understanding the market, and if there is space for it, then there's an allowance. Um, part of what you have is, it's typical to have some sort of protection um, for your local market in some ways. Um, because then you don't want to then push your local out if it is that you can have some sort of protection. So it is also done in some ways in agriculture. So I'm not sure in terms of, you know, how much it is that government is going to go and, you know, make a change to this because then they also have to look at the side that, you know, carry cement actually does, um, you know, give back to the economy in some ways. And so you have to look at the two yeah, sides of it. People for one. Right. So they're, they're the two sides of it. So you have, you know, the protection rules are there in some aspects to help in terms of economic growth. Um, is, you know, is really the foundation of which you have those sorts of protections. Um, you know, um, yeah, there are the other economists on the other side that who will agree or would disagree to say that, you know, it is better to open up and to have, you know, free reign and, you know, that is best for consumers um, in the long longer term. Um, so there are the two viewpoints. So that's an option that they could consider to say that, you know, government could probably um, allow for more importation, um, you know, and not have as great a protection for carb cement. But it is going to be not as easy a, a fight to get done. Right, right. So we'll keep our eye on this. Thanks for the update, David. You're welcome. So we are substantially over time for the show today, but for good reason. We had so many things to discuss. The conversation with the PM was good, but we do want to get to the last two topics. And I'm going to ask you to be as brief as possible, Julian and Auric, in discussing the results for Target and Walmart. So let's look at Walmart first. Auric, what are the results showing their earnings release? All right. So Walmart has been growing globally, and they've been focusing on pushing their digital um, penetration in the industry. I'm just going to share my screen real quick so you can see some of the numbers. All right, good. All right, so some of the key um, takeaways from the from the um, from the 
quarter three report is that the revenue um, is $140 billion. That was a 4% increase um, in revenues for the company. Um, the Walmart, their e-commerce sector is what's growing really fast as well. Um, that that showed 8% growth for the quarter. You'll see it down in the report when you go down some more. Um, when you talk about um, the oper operating margins and revenue, all of them has remained positive throughout the, the quarter. And when you look at their balance sheet, you know, you, you notice that receivables are up 27%, which is high, um, but that's the nature of the, the industry in which they operate. And I realize that the company has beef up their inventory um, coming closer to the de December period. Um, I re also, what to note from the report as well, the company has been chartering their own ships to move um, products to mitigate, to mitigate against um, supply chain constraint. But with that said, the fact, uh, the fact that energy cost is increasing has impacted their, has increased the cost for the period as well. So with, in order to manage that increased cost, the company had reduced the promotion of sales, which haven't hurt sales um, very much. I mean, year on year, the company turnover revenue of around 4%. Um, they have been repurchasing shares. Um, they, repurchase about 7.4 billion shares year to date which is a um representing about 35 percent of of the 20 billion authorization that they announced a year ago um all in all in summary the shares are up around two percent this year in terms of the stock price let me click over here it's close today at around 138 dollars 55 cents um, and it's lagging behind the S&P 500, which is up about 31%, approximately 31% this year. The debt margins for the company are within industry norms. Um, the leadership remains strong. And as inflation approaches quickly, I believe that this is a very, the company will remain cost effective and it's a good option for investors to look into now. Um, with a dividend yield of about 1.5% per annum. I think that is fairly attractive given the, the, the business in which they operate. And based on the median price target for this, based on Wall Street analysts, um, it is around $172.32, which is a 24% upside from where we're looking at now. So I think it's a good um, stock to, to add to one's portfolio right now. Um, in the coming weeks, I'll be sharing more and more um, stock picks throughout the different industry sectors um, for that investors can look at um, for their portfolio. All right. So we'll that's it for the summary. With the caveat, of course, that this is not intended caveat. as investment advice. Right. Please consult <laughs> no your problem. licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. And you can yeah. give us a call over at Ideal Portfolio Services. Yes. Let's look at a big competitor of Walmart, which is Target. What are the results for Target showing, Julian? Okay, so Target has similar parameters um, as Walmart. And they are seeing success because of broader industry tailwinds. So let's dive into it. So I'm going to share my screen now. All right, can you see it? Yes, what are we looking yeah. at? Okay, so we're in business. All right, so net earnings is what we're interested in, is at $5.4 billion, right? So that's up 80.8% .8 year over year. 
And what's good is that it's because of a combination of growth in revenues and cost containment, which is very impressive given the inflationary pressures facing businesses right across the board, especially those in retail. And it speaks to the company's inventory management efforts. Um, want to also look at revenues since they're a major driver. Revenues are up 15% year over year at $75 billion. So we want to look at the segments. What is actually driving revenues? So we noticed that um, apparel and accessories were up 26%. Here we are, right? It's up 26%. And then beauty and household items, that's also up significantly. That's up 10%. And it's actually one of the larger areas of um, revenues. Then we want to look at what the company calls hardlines, which is electronics. So those are things like video games and other um, home entertainment devices that is up actually 17%. So we're seeing strong growth across segments in the business, which is a sign of strong retail activity. It means that consumers are very confident and they're coming in strong in terms of spending. A part of that would have been because of the strong fiscal stimulus that was issued by the US government during the period. However, even though stimulus is starting to come out of the picture, what we should factor in as investors is the fact that it's the Yuletide season. Holiday season is actually one of the stronger periods for businesses such as these. So we're talking about Christmas shopping, we're talking about Thanksgiving, we're talking about Black Friday, we're talking about Halloween, all of these things factor um, into growth in revenues for businesses such as Target. So going back to the PL profit and loss statement, and we are noticing that overall the business is in good shape. So we're seeing cost containment right across the board. The gross profit margin is not on the screen, but we're looking at cost of sales, and that's essentially the cost of inputs. So input costs are very sensitive to supply chain issues. And what we've noticed is that even though there are supply chain challenges right across the board for businesses such as these, the gross profit margin for Target stayed at 30% year over year, which means that they're getting ahead of supply chain inflation and being able to keep wow. the quality of their, their performance where that is concerned. And uh, they spoke to using air freight as an alternative for some of their business lines to get around the issues around shipment and moving goods. In terms of cash now, seeing where cash flows from operations are still healthy, um, cash flows from operations came at $5.6 billion, and that's actually more than earnings. So we're not just talking about earnings growth in isolation. We're talking about earnings growth that is backed by cash. So it means that the company has quality earnings because that earnings is backed by cash. Very important for businesses such as these. Now, we saw where the business is using some of its cash resources to buy back stock. And why is that important? If companies buy back stock, it means that the supply of the stock or the float to minority shareholders has fallen. But if demand for the stock stays the same, it means that it's much easier for the stock to rally or to, um, or to rise over time because there's less supply and the same amount of people who want that stock. So that is, that is something for shareholders to consider. The stock has what is called an upward bias, meaning that it's easier to rise because of the share buyback. Um, when you're talking about earnings now, we expect the company to make $7.2 billion for the year, which is strong because last year they made $4.4 billion. 
So this would be a knockout year for Target. So let's talk about the stock price. So back to the screen now. Um, it's at $2.45 as at the time of this call, $2.45, sorry, $245.63. Um, that's where we are now. That translates to a PE of 18 times, right? And a business like this that has a return on equity of 50%, which is significant, would command a higher PE because the return on equity speaks to the performance of the business. So businesses with a higher ROE command a higher PE, meaning that the business deserves to trade at a higher price given its performance. So if we're at a trading PE of 18 times, right, and we see in this price level, it means that at a PE of say 21 times would give us as a give us a price of about $285. Right? So that is a price target that investors can look at. That's $40 higher than where we are right now. So for further perspective on the price, it's actually down 8.7% from the 52-week high, right? And it's actually up 6.3% from the 200-day moving average. So pretty much the stock still has room to run. It's a business that is expected to do well for its financial year for 2021. Um, well, here's the real source. question. Why is Fashion right. over sending you ads? You've been doing some online shopping. <laughs> Boy, the algorithm is very weird, you know. It's very weird because... Yeah, um, the algorithm, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, it has a mind of its own. Fashion over. The, that company has grown aggressively in, what, like five years, man. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you guys so much. We went through a lot this evening. I really appreciate your participation. We went over Carib, Alliance, Target, Walmart, U.S. Economy, yeah, we did a lot. So thanks again. Until next yeah. time, I'll probably see you guys next year on the show. Oh, okay. Because next week is our Christmas episode, and that's our last episode of the year. So after that, we go on break until the new year, until 2022. Okay. All right. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Happy Christmas. New year. <laughs> Remember to invest, guys. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. So let's take a quick break just to thank our sponsors for the segment. We'll be right back. of taking stock the analysts was brought to you by proven wealth and ideal portfolio services i forgot to mention and this should have been in our in our what's hot in mute in business news so you heard about the new curfew hours let me bring it up so we have an extra hour for for the christmas holidays and i think the curfew is now 11 o'clock for christmas and new year's let me find it, let me find it let me find it quickly in my um in my chat, let me see. Okay, so curfew, new curfew hours effective December 10. So that's next week. Today's the 7th, 8, 9, 10. So Friday. Today's Tuesday. Yeah, Friday, effective Friday. Um, new, new curfew hours, 10 p.m. So curfew will be 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. effective Friday coming to January 13, 2022. So we get an extra hour. It's now 9 o'clock. And then for Christmas and New Year's, Christmas Eve and New Year's Day, the curfew will be 1 a.m. 1 a.m. So you get to stay out all hours if you want to. That sounds like party a keep. I don't know. I don't know what will be allowed. But 1 a.m. is the curfew for Christmas Eve and New Year's Day if anybody's interested in going out for that period. Another measure announced controlled entry protocols for vaccinated persons if the pre-travel test is a PCR 
fully vaccinated persons will not need to do another PCR test upon arrival to be exempt from quarantine. So you just take the one when you're leaving, when you come back. I guess, does it depend on how long you've been away? <laughs> I don't know. Because if you go away for three months, you can, can you still be expected to travel on the basis of the, the pre-travel PCR? I don't know. So let's see. That's what it says. And then if you're not vaccinated, then the 14-day quarantine order remains for persons not vaccinated or not fully vaccinated as well. They still have maintained the travel ban on African countries, but they said that it's under review. So let's see what happens with that, because a lot of people have been saying that that ban is unfair, given that South Africa only detected uh, and reported the first to report the Omicron variant, but it didn't actually apparently originate there since they detected it in diplomats from European countries. So, so is that a fair uh, travel ban? And then COVID test, persons entering the island are required to present a negative COVID-19 test no older than three days. So that remains the same. So those are the updates. Thank you for joining me yet another week. Look forward, look out for the masterclass launch on Thursday at 8 p.m. Join me right here on YouTube Live and Facebook Live and be among the first to get your masterclass at a special rate for those of us who, or those of you who join the live. Subscribe to the newsletter so that you can get your links. Uh, kalilareynolds.com slash newsletter. If you haven't done so as yet, 108 of you are still joining us right at this very moment. Please hit that like button. Smash that like button right now. I'll give you a second to do it. And that helps us, speaking of the algorithm that, uh, that Julian mentioned, that helps YouTube to show it to other people. So smash that like button for me, please, and thanks. And you can leave a comment in the general comment section as well. So this week on Money Mondays, JA, I gave you your Christmas shopping tips to make sure that you survive the Christmas period with some money in your pocket. Next week on Money Mondays, J.A., I'm going to give you your January survival guide as well. Tomorrow on Money Moves, J.A., we will be looking at diversity in the workplace, why businesses should hire more young people and people from inner city communities as well. Why is that a good to have that diversity, that type of socioeconomic diversity, age diversity, gender diversity in the workplace. O'Neill Grant will be my guest. Thanks again for watching, everybody. Loved having you. Any giveaways for the likes next week? Next week, uh, Tuesday, for Taking Stock. Yes, our Christmas special, our Christmas episode. We will be doing giveaways, so stay tuned for that. I have the Appleton, everybody who's been asking for Appleton. We have cash giveaways from some of our sponsors, cash giveaways from me. So tune in for that special Christmas episode. Santa Kay will be back. It'll be our third year. Wow, third time doing a Christmas special with Santa Kay. All right, everybody, I'll see you again very soon. And stay with me now. Let's get this money. Bye-bye. Let's get this money. <laughs> <laughs>